Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. So, that'll be 1 Timothy chapter 2. Give you a little bit of time to get there. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Thank you, Eric. So in addition to taking down Christmas lights this week and going to Grocery Outlet hoping to find a couple more boxes of Christmas crunch, I did something else that was exciting. And that is I retired my old bike. Um, actually, technically, I retired two bikes this week because, you see, I had commuter tires on my mountain bike, which aren't really good for the dirt. And this thing had sat up here in the attic for a couple of years uh, with old, worn-out tires. So I got on the eBay. I got new tires. I figured out how to put them on. I think. I haven't ridden it far, but it hasn't fallen apart. And I got one half of the mountain bike tires on the mountain. But in order to put mountain bike tires back on the mountain bike, I have to take off fenders and other things. So I haven't done the back wheel yet. But I retired two bikes. What? I put, I took off tires and I put, that's retiring, right? Retired two bikes. Can I tell you guys? So I have, I have tires on both bikes. So if anybody wants to go ride on pavement or on dirt, let me know. Um, we'll do that. Can I tell you guys about an assumption that I make every time I meet somebody who is age seven or older? What can I share with you? Can I be honest? Is this a, is this a safe-ish place? I assume that everybody age seven and over knows how to ride a bike. Like if I meet you, I don't just go, you know what, this is probably somebody that doesn't know how to ride a bike. Like I, I don't want to assume a lot of things about people, but I assume that everybody knows how to ride a bike. But it turns out, according to a survey that I found online, so it's got to be true. There's a 30% chance it's true. 6% of adults in the United States don't know how to ride a bike. You know, it's one of those things that so many people know how to do. I just assume that everybody knows how. But there are 6% of American adults that have never learned how to ride a bike. Do any of you remember learning how to ride a bike? I don't remember much about it, but I do remember helping our kids. Right? And to get your brain around pedaling and balancing and how to stop once you get going, like it's one of those things like we're afraid of something that's not even an option yet because we're not going, but we're afraid of not stopping. Getting our head around all that all at once can be quite a bit. In fact, your first blanks, if you're following along, it might feel awkward while we're learning. Keeping the wheels perpendicular to the pavement is harder than it looks. Like I remember with my son, you know, he, he's learned to ride a bike and, and like you, you run along holding him, which is super comfortable. 
Like, it's probably easier for my wife because she's a little close. But, like, to bend over and run with your hand on the bottom of his seat. And then he's like, don't let go. And you're like, I'm going to let go. And you're like fighting as you're trying to help him. It's a super awkward process. We may skin our knees and we might scuff our hands. But in the end, we'll have gained a skill that we can use for the rest of our lives. Good morning. My name is Wayne. Uh, I have the privilege of being the youth and family pastor here at Alliance Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to join us today as we praise God, as we proclaim truth from his word, and as we pray together. Um, I just want you to know this will be the best message I've given all year. It's true. Man, one of one. Let me pray as we dive into scripture this morning. Holy Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. I pray today that we would be open to hearing what you have to say to us. Let our hearts resonate with the truth of scripture. May it affect how we think, how we live, and how we love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We're going to read a couple of verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be in verse 18 in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you know that you should do, but you don't? do or you don't want to do. Um, I'm leading an online group, um, and as a part of this group, we're supposed to make three calls during the week to other guys in the group. And if on the night of the group, I write down the guys I'm going to call and the times, I will likely do that. And I know that. In the last four weeks, I have not written down the names of the guys that I will call during the week. And do you know how many guys I've called during the week? About one each week. (laughs) Yeah, you know, 33%. Right, I know what I'm supposed to do, what's like better for my health and for my growth in this area, but I don't always do it. It's likely that each of us can come up with something that we know would be good for us, but for whatever reason, we choose not to do. Mark Batterson is the lead pastor of National Community Church over in Washington, D.C., and I heard him say in a message once, we are so far educated beyond our obedience. Right? We know the things that we need to do, but we need to learn and do. It says so on that bicycle. We need to learn and do. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19 says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Your next blanks there. These are instructions for Timothy to fight the good fight and to keep the faith. These are instructions for Timothy to fight the good fight and keep the faith. Timothy was a younger pastor, and the writer of this letter, likely Paul, was writing as a friend, a coach, and a mentor. These weren't necessarily new things that Timothy was to learn, but helpful reminders on how to live a life following Christ and making disciples. He was to learn and to do. To fight the good fight takes action. Let's continue reading in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2 say, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings, and for all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. It starts out, first of all, before anything else, Timothy is urged to pray for everyone. The word that's translated urged here can mean ask for earnestly, to beg, or to plead. In Luke 8, 41, this is the word that Jairus used when he came to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal his daughter who was sick. 
Paul's not saying, hey, if you have time this week, I think you might could pray. He's saying, I implore you, I beg of you, take time for prayer, for intercession, and for giving thanks. One commentary that I read said, when a local church ceases to depend on prayer, God ceases to bless its ministry. Prayer is primary in the work that God has called us to. Prayer is primary in the work that God has called us to. The Holman Bible Dictionary says of prayer, prayer is not an act of attempting to manipulate God, but a means of giving God thanks and praise, calling upon him for one's daily needs in the care of others and asking that his will be done and that his kingdom come. Paul uses the four different words, petitions, prayers, supplications, intercession. There's too many different versions that use four different words, but essentially these different words used for prayer are not so much on different types of prayer, but on the scope of prayer, that we can come to God with requests, with pleas for mercies, and we can give thanks. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for others. Although God is an all-powerful and all-knowing God, he has chosen to let us help him change the world through our prayers. Your next blanks, Paul spoke of many types of prayer, but they are all communication with God. I looked at that slide 18 times. I didn't realize that I said the instead of they, so please forgive me. Second best sermon I've given this year, I guess. These types of prayer are all ways that we can communicate with the God of the universe. Prayer is more than a ritual or rote religion. We get to talk with and listen to God, the creator of the universe, and he cares what is in our hearts. We are commanded to pray also in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and through 18. Paul says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you ever wake up in the morning, you're like, I wonder what God's will for me is today. Man, start here. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything. In his book on prayer, it's got a really tricky title. It's called How to Pray. A simple guide for normal people, author Pete Gregg says of prayer, it is neither a peripheral theme nor an optional extra for the desperate and the devout. It does not belong to some other time in history, nor to some other type of person more spiritual or disciplined or experienced than you and me. Prayer is nothing at all unless it is a matter of vast and all-consuming importance for each one of us. And these verses in 1 Timothy tell us that we are to pray for everyone, including those in authority. The verses don't tell us to pray for our friends and family only, or to pray for people who are kind to us, or pray for people that praying for can benefit us, but we are called to pray for everyone. I want you to raise your hand if you're part of everyone. With that, you guys are doing really good today. Yeah, everyone includes And not getting along with someone doesn't get us off the hook for lifting them up in prayer. In situations of personal conflict, one of the ways to test our objectivity is whether or not we can honestly pray for those with whom we disagree. And Paul says, those in authority. We'll take another quiz. How many of you have somebody in authority in your life? Good. At the time of this letter written to Timothy... Those in authority included Emperor Nero, who wasn't a big fan of the movement of Christ's followers and persecuted Christians in Rome. 
We can't decide that we don't want to pray for those in authority because we disagree with their policies or we don't think that they're making the best choices for our nation or our state or cities or county or world. The early church was always subject to opposition and persecution. So it was wise to pray for those in authority. It was so that we could have a quiet and peaceful life. And quiet refers to circumstances around us. While peaceful would refer to a calm attitude within us. The results should be lives that are godly and honorable. When we pray the the president, the governor, the, the mayor, their actions might not change, but God can work in our hearts so that even if we don't agree with what's going on, we can live a quiet and peaceful life, serving God and loving others. We don't just have to rely on Paul's instruction to Timothy. We can also look at what Christ said to his disciples about praying for people that we might not be getting along with. In Matthew 5:44, Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we know that praying for everyone includes everyone, even authorities, even authorities we don't disagree with. And then Jesus says specifically those who persecute you. So if you have a prayer list and you vex people off because you're mad at them, I'd recommend you reevaluate your prayer list and, and put them back on there. We'll jump back into 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 tell us why we should pray for everyone. It says, This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're following along on the message handout, the next blanks are God desires all to be saved. We pray for all people because God cares for all people. Now, this does not mean that all people will be saved without exception. For certainly the world, the whole world, is not going to be saved. It means that all people can be saved without distinction. Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, religious, pagan, ugly, pretty, it doesn't matter to God. His love is big enough for all. Matthew Henry says in his commentary, one reason why all men are to be prayed for is because there is one God, and that God bears a good will to all mankind. In verses 5 and 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. A testimony at the proper time. Your next blanks there, it's about God's plan and God's timing. It's about God's plan and God's timing. It's fairly easy for me most of the time to understand and agree that God's plan is the best, right? All-powerful, all-knowing, his plan is good. It's another thing for me to trust his timing. That can be more troublesome at best. I'm reminded of the young lady visiting Mr. Wonka's factory who not only wanted an Oompa Loompa, but she wanted an post-haste. Timing is crucial, right? She wanted an Oompa Loompa now. But we can't demand that God would do his will in our timing. We can't demand that God would do his will in our timing. If, if David, our wonderful worship leader, and I were sitting up here and we are both playing guitar together, and we were playing the same song, and, and he wasn't messing up, and I wasn't messing up too bad, um, but I had started a measure behind him, it would not produce the desired outcome. It wouldn't be pretty. Like, we can both be playing the right song, playing the right chords mostly. He's playing all the right notes. But if we're not doing it in time, then it sounds like rubbish. 
We need to be playing the same thing at the same time to get the desired outcome. We must trust God's plan and his timing. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 one more time because I really like it. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. These verses cite three foundational truths of the gospel. Number one, there is only one God. Judaism and Christianity shared the common belief that there is only one God. In opposition to the Greek and Roman pantheons and the polytheism of the surrounding nations, the foundation for this teaching is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Number two, there is also one mediator who can reconcile God and people, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The Romans were praising Caesar as their God. But Christians understand that Christ Jesus is our mediator because he is God. And number three, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. God is holy, sinless, morally perfect. People are by nature sinners. A holy God cannot embrace sinners any more than light can embrace darkness. For hundreds of years, the Jews sacrificed animals to God in order to maintain a right relationship with him. The sacrifices reminded them that sin has consequences and that only spilled blood would be enough to cover the people's sins. Yet even that wasn't God's complete plan, for at the proper time, he sent his son to become the final sacrifice, to pay for the sins of all people, past, present, and future, with his own blood. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I hope that you consider his offer of salvation this morning. In prayer, we have an opportunity to praise, to make petitions, and to give thanks to a God who cares for us. If we don't know how or what to pray, we can use the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11 which if you have the Lord's Prayer memorized, you probably have it memorized from Matthew, so when it sounds a little bit different, this is in the Bible, I promise. Jesus said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. It's each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do, nothing, and, and do not bring us into temptation. If you're looking for more teaching on prayer, I would recommend the book I quoted from earlier uh, by Pete. Greg, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Another thing he says in there that I like, he says, the best bit of advice I've ever received about how to pray was this. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. God wants to spend time with us even more than we want to spend time with him. This is a mind-blowing truth. It means that whenever you make the effort to approach the Lord in prayer, he's already waiting there for you with a smile. Keep it simple, keep it real, Keep it up. It doesn't have to be complex. It's not about the right, using the right words. And we can keep it real. If you read through the book of Psalms, you'll see David and other writers of the Psalms pouring their heart out to God. They don't go to God pretending their day is good. And it makes no sense to go to an all-knowing God pretending that we're doing better than we are. God can handle our hurt. God can handle our questions. He is a big and a loving God. And keep it up. Uh, I'm reading a book called Visionary Parenting, and in it they talk about family discipleship. And he says, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. So maybe if you're not praying right now, like you try to pray for 10 minutes and it's hard and you don't feel like it went well, keep it up. Keep doing it. 
The same study that let me know that 6% of adults in America don't know how to ride a bicycle also shows that 51% know how and never do it. Which is sad. Y'all should ride bikes more. I mean, not today. It's pretty nasty out there. But in general, y'all should ride bikes more. 51.2% know how to ride a bike and never do it. <laughs> so your last blank there, you prove what you've learned by what you do. We must learn to pray and then pray. We don't, we don't earn God's favor by praying, but because God loves us, he commands us to do things, and prayer is one of those things. We must learn and do. Knowing that exercise is good for me doesn't burn calories. Knowing that eating vegetables is good for me doesn't keep me healthy. Knowing must lead to doing for change to take place. I can know all day long how to ride this bike. But if I don't get on it and pedal, what good is that knowledge? If I don't get on it and pedal, what good is that knowledge? Now, you're not likely going to go from a guy who never rides a bike to a guy who rides from Seattle to Portland in one day. Um, I actually have this bike because... Um, we were helping with the youth ministry, and I grew up in Castle Rock, Washington, um, and the Seattle-Portland rides right through there, and I'd, I'd always wanted to ride in it, and I told one of the students, like, man, I've always wanted to ride the Seattle-Portland, to but I don't have a bike. She was like, hey, my stepdad has a bike you could probably use. And I thought to myself, I should have had more reasons why I couldn't ride the Seattle-Portland, <laughs> because that one's gone, and, and uh, Jeff was kind enough to give me this bike, and I, I rode it 204 miles, and I nearly died, and it was wonderful. I want to do it again, but I haven't yet. But, but in prayer, it's not like you're going to go from nothing to a 200-mile ride. And I wouldn't expect to. But start where you are and take steps. At this time, I'd like to invite the band back up to the platform. On the back of your message notes, you have a section titled, This Week. And it's my challenge to you this week. Some steps to start with prayer. The first one is attend the prayer meeting we have on Wednesday night. Eric made the announcement. We'll be here at 7 o'clock praying together. And that's a great time to pray as a church family for where God is leading us. So I ask that you would join us for that. The second thing there is, is praying for our leaders. And there's a list of some leaders in my life and, and maybe in your life. Pastor Steve, our interim lead pastor. Dennis Poost, our associate field director for uh, the Alliance Northwest. Randy Shaw, our field director for the Alliance Northwest. John Stumbo, the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance in the United States. Mike Scott, the superintendent of Hillsborough School District. Steve Calloway, the Hillsborough mayor. Kate Brown, the governor of Oregon. And Donald Trump, the president. And my challenge to you would be to spend 10 to 15 minutes each day this week praying for this list of leaders, other leaders in your life, your boss, your teachers, your parents, as well as praying for your friends and family. I think it's a good place to start. Um, I've started praying more lately, and, and one thing that, that I tried to do is, like, you guys might look at me like, yeah, part of your job is to pray. And that's true. And it's a great part of my job. However, comma, um, I don't believe in asking people in the church family to do things that I don't do on my own time. Over the last couple of months, I've started spending 30 to 45 minutes every morning praying before I start a work day, when I'm at home, praying for family and leaders. So, so if you're thinking that it's easier for me because it's my job, that's true. But also know that I'm not going to ask you something to do that I'm not doing when I'm not on the clock as a pastor. So my challenge this week, spend 15 minutes each day in prayer. We have to learn and to do, to follow hard after what God has for us.
Let me pray and then we'll sing a song of response. Father God, I love you. Thank you for the chance to learn from your word today. Thank you for the chance to come together as a church family. God, I pray that this week that you would be with us, God. Create that passion, that desire in us to spend time in your presence through prayer. God, knowing that as we seek you, you will help us to be more like you. Father God, that we would rely on your grace and your mercy, that we wouldn't feel guilty for missed days, but God, that we would just keep pursuing you with all that we have. I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for these people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.